welcome back to We Are the Weirdos, Mister, the podcast for all things cult, camp, queer, and creepy. I am your host, Hilary Michelle Post, and I'm joined today by my sister, Lacey Mason. How are you doing today, Lace? Not bad, not bad. I'm glad to be putting my phone down for a while. I've been in this game for days. <laughs> I love that game too, but I kind of got burnt out on it just because I kept screwing it up. You've gotten really far. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer, I think it's where he gets the plow, but he's shopping for a new car and he's at this foreign place. And this guy's trying to teach him how to drive this car. So he's like, put it in age. Okay. So <laughs> that's the level that I had to get to, to get a, like a decent payoff. Cause I get paid every, every few really big levels on this game. So for like two days, I've just been like, put it in H, put it in H. And today I put it in H. You can make money off this game? Well, it's it's an app called Just Play. And you download the app and it tells you what games to play. And then when you hit certain levels, you get paid. Oh. So, like, I've been doing this since I've been unemployed. So, I know which <laughs> ones to do and how to, like, maximize your money and all that. But, like, yeah, I've made, I probably made almost $10 off this game. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> What's it called again? Uh, fucking addictive blocks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag not sponsored. Like we're not sponsored by this game by any means, but yeah. They ain't giving me it. any more money to pimp it. What is it called? 2248 maybe? Yeah. Something like that. It's funny because it's like I was playing that crossword puzzle game a lot and it was like my brain was getting fried on letters. So I was like, let me fry my brain on numbers instead. <laughs> That's what I do. I go back and forth. And it's not even really the numbers. I think it's just the colors. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, once you like memorize the color patterns, you don't have to really do math. But I try to like strategize to do the most moves and you kind of have to remember the math to do it. And it's like, yeah. You know. And then just when you got it figured out, it levels up and you got to start over. Right. You're like, oh, now we're in the millions. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck H is, but I Me had either. to go like billions twice. It was like millions billions and then like a b c d e f g a <laughs> crazy yeah every time lacy levels up it like updates on can you hear all that in the background no okay good <laughs> just make sure um but every time lacy will level up it'll like update on facebook and she'd be like she's in level like one h and I, that's what i said i was like what the fuck does h stand for <laughs> They give me buku amount of diamonds if I post it on Facebook. I know it's annoying. I just go through and like delete them after two days. But <laughs> yeah, I, it is. It's very addictive. Uh, okay, so the podcast. <laughs> um, last episode, Julie and I talked about Death Becomes Her. And Goldie Hawn is so fantastic in that movie that it made me want to watch another Goldie Hawn favorite of mine. So um, much like Death Becomes Her, this film definitely has a queer cult following. Like we LGBTs love some empowered middle-aged women. I don't, I don't know why we just do. Uh, so today we'll be talking about the film First Wives Club from 1996. So, Lacey, do you remember when you first saw this movie? No, I just I remember growing up watching it and loving these middle-aged women and now we are the fucking middle-aged women 
They're supposed to be 45. Hello. I'm 40. <laughs> it was crazy to go back and watch it again as an adult because I haven't watched it in probably a decade. But oh, I just, I remember seeing it, I don't know, in my teens probably, but it's just always something I always, if it was on, I'd watch it. That's funny because I watched it all the time. So it's funny that it's been a while for you. Um, you know what's funny? I distinctly remember the very first time we watched it. I don't know why this is fried in my brain, but we were at Farrah's house because I distinctly remember because I was really little, but I remember the the um, opening title sequence with like the the pop art and that song. Yeah. And I remember we were at Farrah's the first time we watched it. Don't Isn't it weird that you can do that? It's very weird. Julie and I had a whole discussion last uh, episode about like how bad our memories are and the stuff that we can't remember. Because I always ask her too. I'm like, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? And she's like, fuck no, I don't remember. <laughs> Why do you ask me that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, this is an instance where I do. I remember very distinctly. I remember watching Mars Attacks at her house too and about having me a show. <laughs> I remember going out, going to Blockbuster, getting it. And going back to Ferris' house and watching it that night. Blockbuster! Oh my god. <laughs> um, so a little bit about First Wives Club, a little background. So First Wives Club is based on the 1992 novel of the same name by Olivia Goldsmith. Goldsmith took up writing after her own messy divorce, which likely inspired the themes of the novel. Uh, the rights to the novel were purchased in 91 before it was even published by film exec Sherry Lansing. In 1992, Lansing became the CEO of Paramount Pictures and handed the project to Scott Rudin, the insanely prolific and Academy Award winning producer. Uh, Rudin gave the novel to Robert Harling, who's most famous for writing Steel Magnolias. Harling did a draft of the script but then left the project to write and direct the sequel to Terms of Endearment, The Evening Star. Um, Harling's script was then given to Paul Rudnick, who wrote a lot of my favorite movies. He wrote like Sister Act and Adam's Family Values. Um, Rudnick said that Harling's version of the script was incomprehensible. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> his direct quote was, quote, to figure out the structure of that movie would require an undiscovered Rosetta Stone. <laughs> <laughs> So Rudnick reworked it into the script we know today. It's so funny because there's, you know, there's big name filmmakers that everyone, even the lay person would know to hear by name. And then there's people like Paul Rudnick that if you say Paul Rudnick, no one will know who you're talking about. But he made like all of my favorite movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so principal photography the movie took place in New York from December of 95 to March of 96. Uh, the director was Hugh Wilson, who is on record saying this was a very difficult film for him. According to an interview with uh, Bronson Pinshaw in 2009, the guy that plays um, uh, Eduardo, apparently Bette Midler treated Hugh Wilson terribly during the production. So that's likely what Wilson is referencing when he talks about how difficult it was to make this film. Mm. <laughs> I was reading some of that interview and she was just awful to him. I'm like, yikes. The movie starts in 1969 at Middlebury college where Annie, Brenda, Cynthia, Cynthia and Elise are graduating. The casting for the younger version of them. Insane. Perfect. 
Ah, uh, except for Goldie Hawn. I think she's the best one. Really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, know the, I know that girl too. Like she's, I know she's the only one of them that I recognize from other stuff too. But I think she was on like No More Girls maybe once too. And I just remember thinking this girl's just so goofy looking. And I just think Goldie Hawn's just like the hottest thing ever. So I don't know. But they That's did true. a good job. But you also have, I always think about it like, well, this is what Elise looked like before she had a bunch of plastic surgery. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, speaking of plastic surgery, um, this is a little bit of trivia that's really depressing because plastic surgery is kind of like a running joke in this movie because since it deals with age and aging, the author of the novel that this is based on died due to complications to cosmetic surgery. Like, oof. Get out. Doesn't that suck? Wow. Yeah. Anyway, we see the young versions of Annie, Brenda, Cynthia, and Elise. And it's funny when, I love when movies do this, when they have like young versions of people, but they have the 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 main characters dubbing the voices. So at least it sounds just like them. Right. There's no confusion. So they're all dubbed with the actual actresses' voices. And um, Cynthia gets them together and gives them all pearl necklaces as gifts and annie is like oh cynthia this is too much and brenda's like i, I think it's just enough <laughs> <laughs> um, and they swear to always be there for each other and they have a champagne toast and they take a group photo together um and then it flashes to present day which at this time was like 1995 um so I was trying to math it. And like Lacey said, they're supposed to be about 45 at this point. Um, now, Goldie Hawn, Bette Midler, and um, Diane Keaton all have birthdays within like 45 days of each other. And they all turned 50 during the production of this film. And they all celebrated together. They're, really? They're, yeah, yeah. I wondered if they were of similar age at the time. Yeah, they're a little bit older. Um which I knew even before I read that little tidbit because I just did Death Becomes Her and Goldie was like 46 when she made that. And yeah. that was back in 92. So I could tell they're older than the roles that they're playing, but I didn't know if they were all the same age or not. Yeah. For real in real life. That's cool. Yeah. It's funny to look at them now because they've all aged so differently, I think. Like they all age well. They're all so beautiful. But... I haven't seen Bet for a long time. You didn't watch the new... Oh, no. You didn't watch uh, um, Hocus Pocus. No, I didn't watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> she looks great. She looks insanely good. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, we see Cynthia, played by Stalker Channing, who I love in anything. I'll watch anything with Stalker Channing. Um, she's... We see her looking through newspapers and the tabloids talking about her ex-husband's new wife and he's now with a younger woman and she writes letters to Annie, Brenda and Elise and give them to her maid to mail out and she gives her maid her uh, string of pearls and she's like drinking and train smoking and she puts on her fur coat and she goes out to her terrace and we don't actually don't see her jump but we get the gist that that's what she's going to do can you imagine being that poor woman in the window on her exercise machine? That no. Cynthia waves at and having to see that? That would suck. 
Can you imagine? Ugh. I remember okay. watching the first time and being devastated because she's like one of my favorite people. And I'm like, well, damn. I know. Or being the poor maid, like leaving and God. Oh. Ugh. Um, it's stuff like that that would always keep me from doing anything. Is knowing the aftermath that it would Wait, leave. someone would find you, even if it's not, you, you know, even if you don't even think about your family and stuff connected, like the poor mother effer that's mm-hmm. going to have to deal with that for the rest of their life. No. Yep. This is a comedy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I need a beer. <laughs> uh, so we see the other ladies um, in present day as well. We see Annie, who, like I said, was played by uh, Diane Keaton. We see her get a voicemail from her mom, who's like a very sweet character, but is very critical of Annie in every way. Um, and we meet Annie's daughter, Chris who very casually tells her mom she's a lesbian. <laughs> she's like, Annie comes home from being out all night. And Chris like, he's like, where were you? And she's like, you were with that man again. It's like, well, she, he is your father. <laughs> <laughs> I love Chris. But she's like, why are you so crabby today, honey? She's like, I know, it's a boy. She's like, mom, I'm a lesbian. I'm a lesbian, but that's not the point. Let's go back to talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she accuses Annie of being a doormat for letting her sleazy father walk all over her and manipulate her because her and Aaron are separated, but he keeps like leading her on and it's just really messy. And, um, you know, all these great characters have like a fatal flaw and Annie's fatal flaw is that she's kind of a doormat, which is what Chris tells her that she's a doormat. Um, we also find out that Annie is seeing the same therapist as Annie as Aaron I don't know, like, I can understand if you're seeing a therapist as a couple together, but I feel like if you're seeing a therapist independently while you're separated with somebody, it should be a different therapist. See, I just always assumed that they were seeing her as a couple and then separately. Maybe. She's hot, though, I think. Marsha Gay Harden? Yes. So, we don't, well, we don't see this scene till later, but we'll get into it now. Marsha Gay Harding plays the um, therapist Leslie and like the whole pastiche is the idea that all these women are left by their husbands for younger women I don't think Marcia Gay Harding reads as that much younger than Annie no it's just that she has balls yeah I didn't even think about her being younger a, a little I mean of all like of them Keaton looks older I think yeah Um, Aaron is played by an actor whose name I can't remember, but isn't he the dad from Seventh Heaven? The crusty butt. Crusty butt. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name either. He was on Star Trek. Was he? I think I may he be wrong. Seventh Heaven, the dad from Seventh Heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I might be remembering this incorrectly, but I think. He is um, a pedophile. That's what I meant. That's what I said. I called him. That's what I call booty holers. <laughs> <laughs> booty holers, and apparently I call them crusty butts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> ugh, ugh. It's rough, man. Post me too, and post 
internet, it's like you can't watch anything nowadays without being like, oh, God, that guy's a predator, that guy's a predator. And sometimes I'm unsure. I'm like, do we hate him? Is he? (laughs) (laughs) I have gotten many a text from friends that that have been like, because... I'm like the bastion of cancel culture. They like come to me and just like, why do we hate this person? And I have to explain. <laughs> oh well. Uh, we see Elise played by Goldie Hawn. She is at her, her uh, doctor's office, played by Rob Reiner, and she's like begging him to give her more collagen injections in her lips, and he's like. Elise, if I put anything, any more collagen in your lips, you'll look like they got stuck in a pool drain. <laughs> <laughs> and I always assumed that those were like a prosthetic, you know, just like latex or whatever. They actually injected Goldie Hawn with saline, which like subsides on its own after a while. But like they really injected her with saline to make her lips big like that. I just, I thought they just really overdrew them. Yeah. And that wow. she was like, Puckering them out. Yeah, yeah. But no, they really gave her saline injections. What a trooper. Right, that's commitment. Yeah. And her doctor's like, I know you're upset about the divorce. And she's like, this is not about him. This is about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did she say? She's like, I want Tina Turner. I want Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> so he, you know, gives in and gives her more collagen injections. Um, we also see a brief scene with Brenda, played by Bette Midler. Um, she has a teenage son, Jason, who's preparing for his bar mitzvah. Uh, then we see them all find out about Cynthia. So Annie sees it on the news. Um, Elise sees it in the paper. And because uh, she was like, Cynthia was like famously rich. She, I don't know what she or her husband did, but they were a very, very rich couple and famous couple in New York. So it makes the news when she kills herself. Um, so they all go to the funeral. Um, and there's a brief cameo. You can actually see the author, Olivia um, Goldsmith, in that scene. I recognize her just because I knew where to look, but she's in there. Um, Brenda is there with her boss, uh, Duardo, played by Bronson Pinchot. And they see Elise come in. And they're all, like, sing separately because they're, they've been estranged since college, basically. And Brenda sees Elise come in. And Duardo's like, she looks great. Has she had any work done? And Brenda says, honey, she's a quilt. And then Gil... Cynthia's ex-husband comes in and <laughs> Brenda's like it's the vampire Lestat and Lewis <laughs> which always makes me laugh but also kind of makes me cringe because his name is Louie it's not Lewis <laughs> right but that's the point um, and Eduardo's like you know She's like, he should be ashamed of himself. She's like, you don't know what he's feeling right now. And you see that during the funeral, he's sitting there. Heather Locklear plays his new wife. He's sitting there, like, stroking her boob during the funeral. Ugh. What a fucking scumbag. Ugh. Would you even come? Like, that's messed up. 
if you're like the reason they and everyone knows, that's the thing. Do you go? Because if you don't go, then it also look like a dick. She shouldn't have come. Right. Like, exactly. should have, and she shouldn't have. Yeah. Weird role for Heather Locklear. She never speaks. It's the only time we see her. It's like, hey, do you want to be like a random hot chick that drives a woman to suicide? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> a good paid scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much you get paid? Um. So after the the funeral, Brenda, Elise, and Annie all like run into each other in the lobby and are talking and hugging and saying hi. And Annie, who's very indecisive and sheepish, she's like starts to suggest that they like go grab something to eat, but she's like she feels bad for suggesting it. And Brenda's like, "Why? We gotta eat." And she's like, "I got a car." Brenda says, "A limo." She's like, yeah. Brenda just turns around and walks out the door. <laughs> what bothers me about that scene is, I mean, I don't care how drunk you are or how famous you are. When Annie approaches her, she doesn't remember her. Like, she calls her the wrong name. Like, if that was yeah. your best friend in college, are you really not going to know who they are? Right. And I wonder, I don't know. Part of me wonders if she's being purposely obtuse because she feels guilty that they didn't stay in touch. Oh, that could be. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. Because it, there's two ways of looking at it. Either you personally resent the fact that this person ever reached out to you. So you'll you'll want to um, make it seem like you don't care. So you would imply that you don't remember them. Or you feel so guilty that you didn't stay in touch that you have to, like, obstruct your own guilt by being like, oh, well, I'm not a horrible person. I, we, we're not that close, but when in reality you were. Right. You know yeah. Um, God, I don't know. I just think of my best friends from uh, college. And I just... I can't imagine them not being my life forever. You know what I mean? Like Julie and Heather, I can't imagine a world where we just like were as close as those four women seem to have been. And then to go from that to nothing. Yeah. And the idea of being that to nothing and then like jump another 10 years from now and reuniting, how wild that would be. With grown kids and stuff. Oh, wild. Mm hmm. Also, not for nothing, but Brenda had Jason pretty old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hmm. Um, so the three women are at lunch. And I love the scene because they just progressively get drunker and drunker. Um, and Elise and Brenda really quickly bond over the fact that they were both left for younger women. Because they're kind of like talking about what Cynthia was going through and what drove her to do what she did. And she's, Elise is like, well, I can relate to such and such. And Brenda's like, oh, you too. You know? Right. And she, <laughs> and they were both left for younger women. So she, um, Elise is like, who is she? She's like, her name's Shelly. Shelly the Barracuda. She's 12. <laughs> Like they're talking about getting to a certain age. Brenda's like, "Bye, bye, love. Hello, Pop Tarts." 
Lisa's like, it's the Holocaust. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many great just like one-liners in this movie. I was quoting along to the whole thing. Mom probably was ready to smack me. You know, you look at these women, compare these big, you know, successful city women to the rural community. How many, you're going to get together with your friends 20 some years after you've been out of college or whatever. There are four women and two children. Yeah. Compare that to rural. Nuh-uh. Four women, 27 children. Well, well, maybe mm, look at me and my friends. You're not rural. You're, yeah. Oh, I'm not rural? (laughs) (laughs) uh, Hello. Heather lives in MacArthur. Julie lives in Guernsey County. And I live in fucking BFE, North Carolina. Yes, we're rural. <laughs> you're not it's rural. But you're also not 45 yet. That's true. Yeah, but even when I'm 45, they'll be at max. They'll be like two, three of us. <laughs> I think you're except. You're the exception. Yeah. Well, no, that's okay. Then we'll t- we'll change it. I went wrong. Maybe it's educated versus uneducated. College versus not. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because of all of my college friends, two have kids. One has a kid and one is pregnant and that's it. See? Oh, that's not true. My friend Lauren has kids. Um, so three. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um. I think that's just, honestly, I don't even think it's educated versus non-educated anymore. I think it's just generational. I think fewer people are having kids in general. I agree. I don't know. Not in my hometown, but in general, yes. (laughs) Yeah, Morgan County's the outlier. Oh, my God. I I have friends that have seven, six, five kids. You have a couple friends that have grandkids, too, don't you? I do. I have a lot of friends that have grandkids. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but Annie is, is Annie drinking? Annie, Annie's not drinking, right? We assume she's not drinking. She's the only one not in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. She's still the um, loudest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You come into your mic again. I just coughed, maybe. Oh, no, you were before that. You had your mic covered. No, I don't know how. I'm not touching it. Let me move all this shit. Okay. Okay, cool. If I knew where it was on this piece, that would be helpful. Yeah, I don't know where the the mic is in mine either. I need to get you some headphones with a built-in mic. Um, But they you know, congratulate Annie on how what a positive person she is. And then Elise is like, lithium? Then <laughs> <laughs> um, we see Annie at her therapist, like we said, was played by Marsha Gray, Gay Harding. Um, and she's trying to get Annie to stand up for herself more. And she gives her this little Nerf bat and tries to get her to hit, get Annie to hit Leslie. And she just kind of like lightly bonks her on the shoulder. And she's like, oh, you're a big tough guy. Huh? And she finally like lets loose. And she just whap, 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 like really 
Lord. Like, poor Annie. You can tell she has some pent up frustrations, man. Like, she needs to get it out. <laughs> she's so she's such a funny character. She's so mousy and so timid. It's so funny, like I feel like every group has someone like that, kind of. But she is so timid compared to like Elise and Brenda. Oh yeah. Then we see Elise meeting with her ex Bill, played by Victor Garber. Um she's they're meeting with their lawyers to talk about their assets, right? And Bill produce was the producer on a lot of uh, Elise's films, but like Elise made him the producer he is. Like she it's not like he discovered Elise. She brought him into the fold and taught him how to to produce films. But he's claiming that he's the reason she's successful, and so he thinks that he they should liquidate all their assets. He should get half. And then on top of that, get alimony. Which is ridiculous. It's not like he doesn't have a job now. He still works. You know what I mean? I don't understand how you demand alimony when you leave someone. Right. You're the one that left. What the? Yeah, that's a really good point. What the fuck? I love it. Elise is like... Trying to light a cigarette and it's bouncing around. You want alimony? And every <laughs> time she's trying to smoke, it just—it's a wreck. And now I understand why, because she had all this crap pumped in her face. <laughs> um, we see Brenda and Eduardo out shopping, and they go into a store that, um, you know, Brenda is really struggling financially with her son since Morty left because he's not taking care of them like he should and but Eduardo takes her into the store that she can't afford anything anyway just to kind of window shop and they run into Morty and Shelly and Shelly has on this tiny little outfit that they had seen in the window and she's like what's the matter Morty you can't afford to buy her a whole dress (laughs) (laughs) um oh my god I love Bette Miller's line readings she's like yelling at Morty because he's like, he hands her an outfit and she's like, this is beautiful. I love it. I love the color. But how am I going to pay for it? And he's like, it's the company that's expanding, uh, Brenda. And she yells at him. She's like, you're a liar and a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> she lets him have it. She's so funny. I I say that all the time, too. I'm like, you're a liar and a fraud. Oh. And, when she's uh, like, why don't you go get one in your size? I would have pummeled that woman. Oh. I would have broken her over my knee. Yeah. And it's so funny because like the whole, there's a whole gag. Like Brenda's supposed to be like quote unquote, quote unquote fat one and like lose weight throughout the movie. She doesn't, even when they put her in baggy clothes, you can tell she's not fat. Oh, I was going to say something about that. That's so annoying. Yeah. I hate that in the movies. Um, also, let's just get this out of the way. Not to shame women. And I hate to be this way, but. Sarah Jessica Parker, not hot enough to be this character. <laughs> oh, she's hot enough for Dan Hedaya. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, that's true. <laughs> I think she's hot. I just think she's so skinny. I don't, I don't know. I've never really, I don't, I don't get it. 
she she looks really good in the new Hocus Pocus movie. They like did her hair and makeup a little different than the first one, and she looks amazing. Huh. But in this, I don't think she looks. I don't know. I don't know. Not my type, I guess. Then we see Elise meeting with this hot young director, Brett, who's played by a baby Timothy Oliphant. I think this is like his first role ever. Um, Mom didn't even realize who it was when I said, I was like, look, baby Timothy Oliphant. She's like, nah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's making this uh, new movie with the main character's name, Monique. And of course, Elise is envisioning herself playing Monique, this ingenue character. Brett, meanwhile, is picturing Elise playing Monique's mother. So she's like, well, how do you picture her? And he's like, well, I'm thinking grotesque. <laughs> like, <laughs> no makeup, overhead lighting. Like, Elise Elliot, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and understandably, this destroys her. Oh, um, But at the same time, it's like, Elise... You're like 45. Did you really think you were going to be the ingenue character? Right. Bless her heart. Um, so Elise, after meeting with Brett, she like sits at the bar and she's just getting shit faced. And she's talking to the bartender, Maurice. And she's like, do you look at, look at this face? Is this the face of a mother? And he's like, well, not my mother, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> And she's, he's, who all does she say? She's like, she says a couple different people, but she's like, Shelly Winters is Monique's mother. Sean Connery is Monique's <laughs> mother. And he's like, she's like, no, I take that back. Sean Connery is 300 years old, but he's still a stud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about to say something really dumb. Is Sean Connery still alive? <sighs> No, I don't think well, so. Could not you know what? Maybe we should Google this before we're on record. <laughs> no, because I think I'm pretty sure because I never liked Sean Connery. And I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he died two years ago. Okay, so I'm not completely off base. It was wasn't a long time ago. He died in 2020. Yeah. Um yeah, God, if he was 300 years old, then he was certainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never, I mean, he's, he's aight. He was aight. He said some really machismo bullshit stuff over his lifetime that I didn't appreciate. But it wasn't even that, like, I couldn't stand his accent. I could <laughs> not seem to listen to him talk. I felt like he was chewing on his cheeks and I hated it. <laughs> Then we see Annie going out to dinner with Aaron. She's like at home making pasta with her mom and Aaron calls and, and asks her out. So she gets all dressed up and she goes, they go to this really fancy place and there's dancing and they dance together. And then they go back to the hotel that Aaron has been living in since he moved out and they have sex. And uh, after they sleep together, they're like kissing and being all sweet and he's like, I want a divorce. <laughs> and he's like, we, she's screaming. She's like, we just made love. Like, what, what, the, what are you talking about? He's like, you, <laughs> such a... he's like <laughs> gaslighting her. He's like, you know how you manipulate me. And she's like, Mani uh, what? <laughs> like, 
I went on a date <laughs> that you asked me to go on and you slept with me. Like, how is that manipulated? Oh. Ooh, and um, even fictional men get me all mad. <laughs> uh, but he, Leslie shows up. She's like, babe. She like walks into the apartment, into the hotel. And this is what kills me. There's they have this whole con- confrontation, and Annie's like screaming, and Leslie's trying to talk her down, and um, it's really good for Annie. Like she actually like emotes. She, you know, she's not timid. She screams. She lo- says what she thinks. A horrible circumstance, but it's you know good for her at least. Um, but what kills me is at no point does Leslie stop and go, "Hey, um, you're with me, but you just slept with Annie." Does he say it, or you know, she might just assume that he's sh- like she showed up at the hotel. Maybe, but he's like naked. Well, yeah, but like if she just like came in and then Annie came in, or vice versa. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully. Well, because what leg does this have to stand on anyway? This has to be breaking some kind of rules. Oh, yeah. She should get her license taken away. Yeah, for sure. Well, fucking men sleep with their patients all the time. Well, it's not even, but like she should, there's some kind of ethics that should have made her have to tell Annie that she couldn't be her therapist anymore or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, gross. I, this is going to sound terrible, but like when men do it, it doesn't surprise me because there's this weird, you know, infantilizing thing about wanting to date your patient. But like, I feel like a woman should know better. Like if you're treat if you're treating a man because of his relationship issues and see how terrible he is with his wife, why would you want to date him? Right. The hell, Leslie. Um, Meanwhile, Brenda is like all upset after that running with Morty and Shelly and we see her go out to dinner by herself and it's really sad just I and again, uh, they try to act like she's fat like she can't get through the tables and shit I'm like what the yeah. so stupid Brenda bless her heart and their, their idea of like someone who's fat is like someone who dresses like a kindergarten teacher right this is kind of how Brenda dresses bless her um, man though like the cojones to go out to dinner alone. Have you never? Huh? Have you never? Not at a sit-down restaurant. Well, no. I mean, for like a during a lunch break or something, but I've never gone out in the evening for a dinner by myself at a nice restaurant. I guess never at a nice restaurant. I've never, but I've sold just about everything just to prove to myself that I could do it because I'm great company. <laughs> I'll go to the movies by myself. I love doing that. I've done that, and I've been the only person in the theater, and that was the best fucking thing ever. Yes, it's awesome. Makes me think of that um that Zach Galifianakis joke. He's like, "This is an old bit," but he said, "I like to go to really bad movies in their like third or fourth week in theaters, and there's only one other person in the entire theater, and I sit right next to them." <laughs> and they'll turn to me and be like excuse me I'll be like shh I can't hear Keanu <laughs> uh, and then the next morning after we see all this um, the 
Brenda, Elise, and Annie get the letters from Cynthia in the mail. Um, God, which would be so. I can't. Oh, imagine. I know. It's so rough. I think. Yeah, there. There's a shot of the the letter, so you can see it in its entirety, and this is what it says. We see Annie's copy of the letter. It says, "Dear Annie." I'm so sorry we didn't remain in each other's lives, but I knew you'd be someone important, Annie. Sometimes I've envied your life. When I read what I read seems uh, so perfect. It's funny. In college, I dreamed of making a difference, of helping others, but now it's as if I had never existed. I wish I had talent like Elise or Brenda's humor or your strength, Annie. Most of all, I wish I had our friendship. Perhaps Gil isn't the problem. Perhaps loneliness is. Please take care of each other. Love, Cynthia. Mm. Oof. Um, so the three of them get together. Uh and they're like, I think they're at Annie's place. They're all sitting there and they're drinking champagne and talking about how unfair it is. Not just what happened to them, but what happened to Cynthia, which is just such a similar situation. And they decide to get revenge. Well, the, the reward revenge is thrown out, but I think it's Elise, or she's like, "No, not revenge. I want we want justice, and it's not about revenge. It's about you know getting what they what is coming to them, right?" Mm-hmm. So they form the first wives club. It's so funny they all take off their wedding rings, which is funny that they're all still wearing them. Because why would you still be wearing them at this point? But I, thought that, I thought that. I thought that too. They take them off. Um. And they put them in Annie's champagne. And they, they toast and drink. And every ever since I was little, every time I'm just like, ew. <laughs> oh, God, especially now. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with germs. It's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, I can't find. Or in the least, like, they all should have drank out of that one, maybe. Right. Yeah. And, of course, the least, the the uh, veteran drinker downs her entire class. They're like, uh, Elise, she's like, yeah. <laughs> I I love champagne, man. I gotta tell ya. I take it to the face just like Elise. Just... Oh, it gives me a fucking headache. <laughs> so, the first part of their plan is they need a spy for to spy on Aaron. So they go to um, Annie's daughter, Chris, for help. And instead of just calling her, they decide to go down to the gay bar that she's at. <laughs> and as soon as they walk into this gay bar, which sidebar, I need to look it up for the exact numbers, but there's like, I can count on one hand the lesbian bars there are in this entire country. Like, there's gay bars and they'll have like ladies' nights and stuff, but like actual four women gay bars just don't exist anymore. And it's really depressing. Right. Um, but this particular, whether it's this particular bar or this particular night, it's just all gay ladies. Um, and as soon as Elise walks in, of course, she's a, this big star, a lady comes up to her and she's just like, Elise Elliott, right? She's like, I knew you were gay. <laughs> she's like, I, said, I was like, Elise Elliott is so hot. And she's like, God bless you. <laughs> she's like, you want to dance? She's like, yeah. So Elise goes off with this lady and goes to dance. And then Brenda uh, and Annie go up to the bar where Chris is sitting with a girl and interrupts them. And uh, poor, poor Brenda is just like, 
but she but she's like all awkward and, and annie he's super supportive and cool by the way yeah yeah oh i missed one of my favorite lines i had it written down too but at the beginning after um <laughs> annie's like at the first scene we see annie when she's about to leave chris is like doormat she goes lesbian <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love the use of just saying something that someone is as an insult. You know what I mean? Is that'd be me like if you and I were fighting? If I was just like Gemini. <laughs> right. Um. But they ask her to uh, get a job at Aaron's ad agency to work as to be like their liaison for their plan. Um, and we see her, you know, talking to Aaron trying to get a position and he's like it's just you've never had an interest in advertising before and she's like oh i want to learn daddy she's like how about a little nepotism and he's like okay sure so she gets a job as like a receptionist at the office um meanwhile elise starts the liquidation process this is what kills me the liquidation idea was bill's idea and yet he has the nerve to be shocked when she comes to get her shit Right. He just expected her to like get rid of all of her stuff and liquidate it and his stuff would not be counted in that. Is he an idiot? Yes, we know he's an idiot. So she shows up at his office and just with a moving crew and just starts taking everything. <laughs> the desks, the furniture, everything. And he's like calls her a uh, what's he say? You vindictive sack of silicone. <laughs> <laughs> um we see uh, Brenda's son Jason's bar mitzvah and it's just Brenda and Annie at least isn't there um, but Morty shows up with Shelly and Brenda's like oh, he brought her to my son's bar mitzvah and Annie goes is she a gift? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that Brenda is both Jewish and Sicilian <laughs> Yes. We meet her Sicilian uncle Carmine, who is very unsettly clearly in the mob. And uh, he offers to take Morty out. <laughs> and to Brenda's credit, she's like, oh, no, don't do that. Because <laughs> I got to tell you, if I was Brenda, I'd kind of be like, mm. <laughs> I, I think I'd probably just want to do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> be like, can I assist? <laughs> No, there'd be a there'd be like a passing moment where I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Uncle Carmine reveals that when Brenda's dad was still alive, when because Marty, uh, Morty rather, owns a line of electronics stores, so that's where he has all of his money. When he first started out, all of his inventory for those first few stores, quote, fell off the back of a truck. So the um, Brenda's dad had like helped him get illegal merch, and Brenda had no idea. She was genuinely surprised. She's like, "Morty, a crook? My Morty?" He's like, "Look up his uh, his two tax returns. They're fiction, works of fiction, bestsellers." So now we have an in on what we can, how we can get to Morty. We, then we see uh, Elizabeth Berkeley 
plays Bill's new girlfriend. And because Elise is still in the process of taking all Bill's shit. So we see her show up at Bill's apartment. And he's there with his young new girlfriend, Elizabeth Berkeley. And she's working on a script. She's like reading from a script and she's a terrible actress. Which go figure. Go figure. <laughs> Real stretch for poor Elizabeth. Oh, that's mean. No, it's not her fault. She's not a terrible actress. She's just been in terrible things. Um, but she comes and takes more Bill's shit from the penthouse. And Elizabeth Berkeley's character, whose name I can't remember, is uh, like starstruck to me at least. And she's like, wouldn't she be great playing opposite me? Like, Bill is producing this new movie by this hot young director. And I'm going to star in it. I'm Monique. And you can be my mom. (laughs) And Elise just looks over her shoulder at Bill, just like death in her eyes. (laughs) So Annie and Brenda show up at Elise's place, which is now filled to the brim with Bill's, all this stuff that she's taken from Bill's house and penthouse and their shared place in the Hamptons and his uh, office. And uh, (laughs) um, Brenda comes in and makes a beeline to Elise's Oscar, which was Goldie Hawn's real Oscar. They just use Goldie's Oscar. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah. Like, why make a prop? She's like, hey, Goldie, can you just bring yours in? Um. And she's like, what does it say? She goes, oh, it says, I beat Meryl. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel so bad for Jennifer Lawrence. Because when Jennifer Lawrence won her Oscar, she made a reference to that line. And that's all it was. It was a reference to First Wives Club. But people didn't that didn't get it thought that she was actually making a jab at Meryl Streep. Whatever. And, like, don't get me wrong. Jennifer Lawrence is really problematic. And, like, she's not the greatest person. But, like... People were, like, really mad at her for making that joke. I'm like, she's a young kid, and she made a pop culture reference when she won an Oscar. Like, give her, cut her some slack. It's Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep will be fine. <laughs> right. Um, Elise is like, I didn't, you know, my warehouse is full. I don't know where to put all this stuff. And she's like, oh, I can put it in that building I know downtown. It's such a rich person thing. Just like, oh, I have a whole building downtown I just forgot about. Right. And they're like, you know brainstorm they realize that can be their um, center of operations so it's this really big building but they renovate a little corner of it to be this really cool office for the first wives club um and they're all daddy <laughs> stop sissy they're all at the office together and um elise is like working out and brenda and annie are working on stuff and uh, Annie's reading the script that Elise was given for a play that someone offered her a role in. And she's like, you got to do this play. It's so good. And she's like, I don't, haven't done theater in years. Bill said it was bad for my career. She's like, <laughs> I forget exactly what they say, but basically it's like the role of the character is a lot like Elise in real life mm-hmm. in terms of circumstance. Like it's about an old, the play is called of a certain age. <laughs> and um, then they get a, a phone call from Bill because his Lamborghini is getting repoed. Again, he still hasn't caught on about how this works. Right. He's like su- surprised. And so they make a note. He's like, oh, got the Lamborghini. And uh, Brendan, the, the whole time, 
fucking Elise is on like a Stairmaster and on a treadmill. We're just like, aren't you frustrated? She's like, you climb and you climb and you don't get anywhere. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, I love it. It burns off the booze. So can I get my best ideas when I'm working out? She's like, you get ideas. And Andy's like, well, come up with an idea because we have to figure out how to get um, to Morty's tax returns. And Brent is like, well, they're, they'd be at the new penthouse that he bought for Shelly, but we just had to figure out how to get in. And Elise, to her credit, has an idea. She's like, I know how to do it, Duardo. And um, who, <laughs> well, we'll get more into Duardo here in a minute. He's a piece of work. Um, so they can't just, there's no way to just have Duardo like become Shelly's designer. So we have to bring in some extra help. So Maggie Smith's character is named Ganilla uh, something Goldberg. And she's like a socialite, right? And she's friends with Elise. And she's like New York royalty. And in the voiceover, Annie says that, you know, Ganilla is willing to help because she herself has been a first, a second, a third, and a fourth wife, <laughs> which is why she's so rich. <laughs> Maggie Smith is so great. I love her. Me too. That'll be a rough day when we lose Maggie Smith. Mm. Every time she trends on Twitter, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, no. okay. hey. um, so Ganilla calls Shelly and invites her over for lunch. And Shelly, of course, is thrilled and wants to go. But Morty's like, why? And Shelly's <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> she has no answer. But that is a good question. If even if you were like a so trying to be a socialite yourself, if you just got like a random call from like the most celebrated person in your city, just like I want you to come over for lunch, you wouldn't for a second be like, "How do you even know who I am?" Right, that's suspect. <laughs> yeah, but Shelly's an idiot, so so Shelly goes to lunch at Ganilla's. Love that name too, Ganilla. So funny. Um, and she's just <laughs> so not classy at all. <laughs> she's like talking about the dressing. She's like, this is like restaurant quality. She's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but Ganilla tells Shelly that, you know, to make a mark and to become this successful socialite, you have to have the right florist, the right to, um, decorator and so she gives her Duardo's card um and so whether it's the next day or whatever the next scene we see uh Shelly and Morty's penthouse and Duardo is going to come over to do a consultation okay this is what kills me Brenda works for Duardo we don't know for how long She's worked for Eduardo. But you would think that Morty would recognize Eduardo. Yeah, exactly. So that just shows how far Morty is up his own ass. He doesn't even recognize the person that his wife worked with for however long. Um, he convinces Shelly and Morty to 
leave him alone in the apartment for a while. And the girls, once Shelly and Morty leave, um, Annie, Elise, and Brenda sneak in. And I've always wondered why. I, But at the beginning of this scene, when the girls come in, um, uh, Bet is doing this bit where, like, her knee is hurt. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I've always wondered what that was about. I wonder if she genuinely hurt her knee. Probably. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> um. And she like goes into their bedroom and it's the bedroom's hideous, but I can understand from like a middle-aged nineties woman point of view that it would look glamorous. Um, and Brenda just like has a meltdown. She like starts, she falls on the bed and starts, starts sobbing. Cause she's so jealous. And they, um, they had to like physically pick her up off the bed and she's like, it's okay. And daughter's like, there's an office upstairs. So they run up these steps these really rickety like suspended by wire steps that you could not pay me to walk on same (laughs) like even when they're running up them they're all swaying everywhere and elise is like oh i'm dizzy but they go up into the office and um, are digging through files and annie's going through the computer and brenda finds the the files that they need to prove that he's a crook in the file cabinet and elise zips them up in her jacket and even though Eduardo said, give me a, an hour in your place, um, they come back early after like what it's been, what, 15 minutes tops. Right. Um, and he like tries to get them away from the front door so that the girls can sneak out. But Morty like goes to use the bathroom and goes into their line of sight so they can't get out the front door. So they go out on the terrace and there's a window washer thingy. Yeah, whatever they're called. They're like the little carts that they suspend out front of windows to wash the windows on these big penthouses. And they're like, we're going to climb into this thing and we're going down. And Annie screams bloody murder. I don't know how the whole building didn't hear her. Right. (laughs) Which Um, would probably be my reaction too. Yeah, like at least you'd Homer scream. I would too. There's you couldn't get me in that thing, especially because they have to like climb over the railing to get into it. See, that's the worst part, getting into it. Exactly. I'm like, fuck that. I would rather Morty catch me in his apartment. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll just like right. run out the door, and be like, "Come get me, we." <laughs> What's he gonna do? Right. Um. But they, <laughs> Brenda's trying to use the controls to control it because it's like motorized and they're trying to lower it down. And they lower it down and they stop in front of this big bay window. And there's a couple inside this apartment about to have sex and they look out the window and they're like, Is that Elise Elliot? <laughs> and they're like, You look great. And she's like, straining to hear, Like, you look great. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they lose control of the controls again and they just start plummeting down this uh, I, the way my soul would have left my body oh no shit um, and I don't know and like Brenda's like struggling with the controls so I don't know if she was able to stop it just in time or if it was just because like it ran out of wire but like they get six inches away from the sidewalk and stop I feel like even if it had slammed into the concrete, they would have been oh, 
okay-ish. <laughs> like, they probably would have gotten hurt, but they, I don't think they would have died, but it would have sucked still. Right. So they climb out, and Brenda's like, you want to go again? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no. I probably would have slapped her. <laughs> um, this next scene, again, it's so funny the things you remember. Because they're like in the their big, that big building where their office is. They're just kind of like in an empty part of the building. And they've lit a bunch of candles. And they're just sitting around on the ground in candlelight, like drinking wine and eating marshmallows. And I remember being little and loving this scene and thinking, like, this is the type of friendship I want when I'm old. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like sitting around just like you could just be in candlelight with your friends, just snacking and drinking and bullshitting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that scene always stuck with me. I remember being really little and being like, this is cool. Um, <laughs> but they are reminiscing about Cynthia's 21st birthday and how they had her parents threw this big party at this hall and they had put together like a little song and dance number for the party and Annie was talking about how she hated it like she was mortified she was so scared to do it and uh so Elise and Brenda convince her to sing with them right then and they start singing and then they the two of them stop and Annie sings by herself and they just do it to like embarrass her and to tease her but it's kind of mean actually yeah um they're singing Leslie Gore's You Don't Own Me. Uh, which there's a payoff to that later at the end. Um, so Elise, who has taken all of Bill's shit, <laughs> has liquidated it all and sold it to Annie. And sold it all to Annie for a dollar. <laughs> so great. This whole thing is genius. Like this whole plan is so smart. So, plan is, Elise sold all of Bill's stuff for a dollar. Which she goes to give to Bill, and she gives him, like, two quarters. And she's like, I thought, because of the history, that a dollar was more than fair. And he's just staring at her. And he's like, she's like, fine. She throws the other two quarters down. She's like, take it all. <laughs> and so then Annie takes the, all of this stuff that now belongs to her and sells it at auction. So that she can have money to buy out Aaron's partners at Aaron's advertising firm. Now, to help ensure that everything sells and to extra stick it to Morty, (laughs) Duardo and Ganilla take Shelly to the auction and they manipulate her into buying a bunch of shit. (laughs) Like... The, ma- the amount of money she spends on this bullshit. She, didn't she spend like $150,000 on a chaise or something? Yeah. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars on the dumbest shit. Morty must have a lot of stores. <laughs> like, it's enough money that it like he gets mad that she spent it, but the fact that it's at Shelly's disposal at all shows that Morty is fucking rich. And the fact that Poor Brenda is like struggling with her son is it makes it even worse. Right. 
Oh, God. Morty's such a creep. Such a creep. But it's so funny because Elise is like sitting in the audience. And so she keeps um, at the auction. She keeps bidding to help bump up the bids. And then at one point, we see Brenda in disguise in a wig in the back. And she's (laughs) bidding to bump it up. And there's like this Japanese plate that is going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Brenda's the last person to have bid on it. And it looks like it's going to have to go to her. And then finally, (laughs) Canilla turns to Shelly and is like, you know, Jackie O had one just like it. (laughs) And Shelly's like, whoop, throws that paddle up and wins it. And, uh, then after that, we see Morty like yelling at Shelly for buying all this stuff. And she's like, he's like, a Lamborghini? She's like, the Lamborghini was only $300,000. It was a gift. And he's like, you bought it with my money as a gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she starts pouting and undressing. And she's like, I, you know, it's not like you asked me to marry you. Ugh. So, uh, here in my notes, I literally had written, Shelly is not pretty enough to be this manip- manipulative. <laughs> I remember thinking that. Like, that would totally not work on me, but okay. <laughs> um, But Morty and Shelly get engaged, and Brenda finds out through Jason. And she acts like, you know, she tries to be cool about it, but you can tell that it shakes her a little bit that they're engaged. Um, so... The next evening, Brenda and Annie are at Elise's place, and Elise is totally loaded. She's not financially in this. She is, but she's drunk, <laughs> loaded right. as in shit-faced. And they're all fighting because Elise is frustrated because they haven't really found a way to stick it to Bill yet. Not really, other than take a shit. Um, you know, they found find out Morty's a crook so they have something to blackmail him with Annie's going to buy out Aaron's partners so we got that on him but we were still trying to get to Bill and Lisa's really frustrated and she kind of takes it out on Annie and Brenda and Brenda is just fed up so she (laughs) says to her she gets up and she's like I say this with love compassion and the spirit of true sisterhood you are full of shit (laughs) (laughs) And she, like, goes into her kitchen and empties out her trash can. She's like, I had guests. And it's all, it's empty bottle, empty booze bottles and shit. She's like, I had guests. She's like, who? Guns and Roses? roses? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the whole fight just escalates and escalates until, like, Brenda throws uh, Elise's Golden Globe against the wall and then Elise throws it at Brenda's head and nearly m- misses her and then um, Brenda slaps Annie so then Elise slaps Brenda and then Brenda slaps Elise <laughs> and then they all storm out but right before Brenda storms out she says to Elise she goes you know I've always wondered how drunk do you think Cynthia was when she decided to do a jackknife onto Fifth Avenue. Mm. And it's a good point. Right. And it, it resonates. It, that gets through to Elise. So Annie's, um, you know, talks about it with 
Chris and her mom. Um, and, you know, they're the being supportive. Like, you, you know, you guys should make up. It'll be okay. And Annie's just like, I don't see how we can get over this. Um, and Elise shows up at Brenda's to apologize. And she's like, I've never been to your place before. It's so real. <laughs> like, yeah, I imagine a single mother's New York apartment looks very different to what Elise is used to. Oh, shit. If, if your friend had, like, bitch slapped you like that, would you get over it? Uh, I don't know. I've really never, I mean, I got punched in the nose by a friend when I was, like, nine, and we didn't make it, so... No. <laughs> I was going to say, I've never had a friend like slap me across the face before, and I don't know what I'd do. Um, to, to go back into the darkness, that's when I realized how bad stuff was for her at home. Like, I knew that she had lived in an abusive house, but when she wailed on me because I told her that I also liked Joey McIntyre, I realized that it was a really, really bad environment to put myself in, and I didn't go back. Good call. Mm-hmm. Good call. <laughs> God, that's weird. That's funny. I mean, it's not it's funny, not but it's I've like, ever yeah. been physical with any of my friends. No, just not that guy. I don't know. I don't think my friends are that guy either. Like, what kills me is Annie never opens up her mouth and never stands up for herself and then when she finally does and calls her friends assholes for being assholes she gets bitch slapped I'm like <laughs> right damn can't win um at least and Brenda find Annie at the office and he's like packing up everything and you know they're like look Elise is sober we were they all apologize and you know they have a plan to get to Bill so they convince Annie to stay and to keep going with their plot. Um, so they're like, you know, Bill hasn't done anything wrong that he knows of. So Elise takes Bill's new girlfriend, Elizabeth Berkeley, out for drinks to get to know her. And she finds out that she's underage. She's like 16. So she takes this girl's yearbook and a copy of her birth certificate to Bill and essentially blackmails him. <laughs> She's like, you're going to do what I say or else I'm going to, you know, I don't forget what she says. She's like going to call Diane Sawyer or something. Um, and she gives her in the card and she's like, meet us at this, at the office um, in two hours. And then Brenda and Uncle Carmine kidnap Morty. Morty's in the middle of shooting a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I'm still unclear as if, if those were real cops and Uncle Carmine just like has an in on the with the cops or if those were fake cops that kid that arrest Morty. Right. I don't know. Did you recognize who one of the cops was? I don't remember. Was it Mike? Oh, it was Heck? um it was JK Simmons. Oh, I must be thinking of them. J.K. Simmons. He's the guy from the We Are Farmers. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, he's one of them. Juno's <laughs> <laughs> dad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Juno's dad. 
Uh, that uh, that's what I was going to go with first, but I didn't know if you had seen that or not. Um. So they take him to like a meat locker somewhere and are like, you know, Brenda says, I'm going to take control of all of the finances of all the stores. She's like, you will stay on as president of Morty's because after all, you are Morty. Like, and I will give you money so you can live the lifestyle that I feel you should be accustomed to. I don't know what choice you have, Morty, is either this or jail. So she blackmails him, too, and tells him, you know, come to this office in two hours. <clears throat> and then Annie took the, the proceeds from um, the auction and used it to buy out Aaron's partners. So Aaron comes in <laughs> to the office, and it, Chris is his receptionist, of course, and she's like, oh, yeah, your nine o'clock is in the conference room. She's like, poor daddy, it's going to be hell. <laughs> and he walks in and he like didn't didn't know anything about this, obviously. So he's stunned and, you know, doesn't know how Annie got the money or anything like that. But it doesn't matter. But he threatens. He's like, if you try to do this, I'll take all of my clients and I'll walk. And I'll leave you with nothing. She's like, well, that's fine because I just have got a forty five million dollar um, deal, which I have assumed. They never say, but I assume is Morty's. Morty's, yep. Yeah. She's like, I have a forty-five million dollar account, so you do what you got to do. But I'm, you know, this company is now partly mine. And just like the other ones, she gives him a card and is like, "Be there in two hours." Um. So Morty walks into the lo- to the lobby of the building, the office building. Excuse me, and. uh Excuse me, Aaron and Bill are sitting there. And he's like, what are you guys in here for? Or like, what are you in for? And they tell him their plan, which is basically, um, you guys are going to invest in our new venture, which they decided that part of their problem they were having is because they were thinking too small that they needed to expand what their goal was. And they've decided to open up a crisis center for women. And they're going to make Aaron, Bill, and Morty, Morty pay for it. Um, and they're like, it's so funny because the, the guys are like, you can't make us do anything. And they're like, well, you know, Uncle Carmine can. You Uncle know. Carmine can. I say that all the time and everybody's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but it's so funny that they say that. Like they, like they have to threaten them with violence with Uncle Carmine. But it's just like we can make you do whatever the fuck we want because we have dirt on all of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Morty could go to jail, Bill could go to jail, Aaron could lose his whole company. Like, yeah, you'll do what we say. Men. Um, so, we see a montage of them remodeling the office building and they remodel the whole building into this new crisis center. And we see Elise rehearsing her play. She finally, She decided to be in the play on Broadway and it goes really well. Um, we see Brenda and Annie there on opening night supporting her. Um, we see Chris and uh, Annie's mom both working at the crisis center, but, and all the while we see the men writing all the checks. It's awesome. It is amazing. <laughs> and they opened the Cynthia Swan Griffin crisis center for women. And Kathy Lee uh, Gifford makes a, a 
cameo interviewing the women about the the center. Uh, according to IMDb, this is the first movie that Kathy Lee ever made a, an appearance in. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, what movie is she in with the unibrow? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh no! Wait, that's um. She was on Raising Hope, I think, maybe with the unibrow. Oh, that's funny. I still have never seen Raising Hope. Hillary. I know. I know. You and Mom both have said that. Um, but we see a opening night party. Um, where they throw like a big gala to open up the crisis center, and. Uh, Morty shows up and brings Shelly, but Shelly doesn't want to go in. She's like, you know, I'm not Brenda. He's like, no, you're not. Um, so she stays out in the car. Um, the, the girls say goodnight to Ivanka Trump, who makes a cameo. She's leaving the party. And she's like, remember, girls, uh, don't get mad. Get everything. Which is iconic. I remember that being in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Ivanka. Rest in peace. Um, we see Eduardo talking to Gloria Steinem. <laughs> it's a nice little cameo. Um, then Jason and Brenda are out on the dance floor, and Morty asks to cut in to dance with Brenda, and she's like, "Where's Shell?" He's like, "She's in the car." She's in a glove compartment. <laughs> Drunk. <laughs> so Morty and Brenda start to dance and we in Annie's voiceover, we said that uh, clearly Brenda and Morty are about to get back together. Elise, meanwhile, has started to date an actor that's in her play. And Aaron and Leslie broke up and he asked Annie if he could come back home and Annie told him to drop dead. <laughs> so good for Annie. Um, we see Bill outside of the party smoking and, uh, he hits on Shelly and they're flirting with each other. And then he's like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> also sidebar in what universe does Elizabeth Berkeley look 16? <laughs> no shit. Like in Bill's defense, he, and he really is genuinely horrified, like to find out, like, he's like, oh my God. <laughs> he's like, I didn't know. Um. But it's the party's over and everyone's left and um which cracks me up because like we see Elise, Annie, and uh Brenda alone in the hall. Um and I'm like, there would be catering people cleaning up. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? There'd still be people there, but whatever. Um, but the movie ends with the three of them performing Leslie Gore's uh You Don't Know Me in like a full production number. And they're all three wearing white and it's really cool very iconic scene um and that's how the movie ends with the three of them walking down the street singing together so um, good it's so good it's so witty and feel good it's one of the, it's like a feel good movie for me um anytime and I, I like how they manage to like fuck everybody over but everybody ends on good terms yeah oh yeah and how they ultimately do like a better a bigger thing with it mm-hmm um, so this movie had a budget of $26 million and made a box office of $181 million. 
it was it was like number one for several weeks. It was like a huge hit. And what's frustrating is like everyone considered it a fluke. Um, because they've tried to make um sequels. They all three of the women were up to do a sequel, but Paramount was just like really wishy-washy about it because they're they're like, well, women's movies don't make money. And they're like, this one made a shit ton of money. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, it was just a fluke. Ew. Like, well, goddamn. Over the years, there's been several like murmurings of there being a a sequel. Like the women have met up and have had lunch, and there's been different drafts of scripts went around at one point. I think in like as late as 2015, even Netflix was talking about doing something, but it's just never gone. It's never happened. Um, not too late, in my opinion. I feel like they could still do one. I would watch it. Fuck. Oh, oh yeah. Um, there was John Stewart was originally in the film. There was a longer cut of the movie where John Stewart appears as Elise's boyfriend. Um, but he was cut from the film entirely. Uh, Hugh Wilson told Vogue in 2016 he had a pretty pretty big part. He shot for weeks. But he kept, we kept shortening it and shortening it. And then one day, the editor, John Bloom, called me and said, we have to cut like 40 minutes out of this. And we have to lose the whole John Stewart thing. So <laughs> they said John was good, but it was like a B story that might have well been a C story. And it just stopped the movie. <laughs> Which is so funny because that's the exact same thing that happened in Death Becomes Her. There was a whole storyline with Tracy Ullman as a love interest. And they cut her entirely from the movie, just like John. Oh. not weird? Um, First Wives Club was adapted into a musical. Um, it opened in San Diego in 2009 with a book by um, Rupert Holmes. And the music was done by Brian Holland, Lamont Dozier, and Eddie Holland. And Eddie Holland, and they're really well known for making a bunch of hits in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was, like, kind of a jukebox musical because it used a bunch of their older music but then they wrote a bunch of new music for it too um but and it was supposed to go to broadway but nothing ever happened with it and then a reworked version of that production with a new book written by linda bloodworth uh, thomason opened in chicago in 2015 so it was like the same musical composers but it was a complete new story writer but it never went anywhere either um after the it never made it to new york and then uh, similar, similarly, in 2016, TV Land greenlit a series. Um, it was going to have Allison Janning and Megan Hilty um, and uh, I think Vanessa Lachey. It was going to have a bunch of people in it. Oh, wow. And, yeah, but it never went off the ground. And then Paramount um, owns BET. So they took what was originally going to be, I forget what it was going to be on TV land. That's right. They took it off TV land and then reworked it um, and made it in an entirely African-American cast. And now that's on BET and it's actually relatively successful. I think there's only been one season so far, but yeah, um, I knew it existed, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, Yeah, that has, the movie has quite a legacy and as it should. Yes, it should. Um, 
I've read it had mixed reviews. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Um, I'm going to go out on a ledge and guess that if you read most of the bad reviews, it was probably from men. Because <laughs> <laughs> most film critics are men. <laughs> um, I wish more people, critics and filmmakers in general, would embrace more of the concept of some things just aren't for you. And that's okay. You know what I mean? I feel like that could be said about everybody and everything. Everything. Yeah. Twitter exists so people can bitch about shit that nobody gives a shit about. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like there's a difference between saying, oh, this thing is bad. And this thing isn't for me. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many people who review movies that... Are just like well, this is a bad movie. It's just like no, it wasn't a bad movie. It just wasn't for you, and that's okay. It's frustrating. Um, you know, you can really tell when a movie is bad when on paper it's like, oh, this movie is so for me, and then it fails. Then you can be like, well, maybe this movie has has failed in what it was trying to do. Yeah, but I think in terms of what this movie was trying to do, totally successful. In every way. Hell yeah. Uh, it's funny because there's so many movies that are like there are cult movies that weren't successful and then get like a second life as a cult film. And then there's movies like this that were successful but still have a cult status. I love movies like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about. I mean queer people in general but I especially gay men who gravitate to movies with strong female leads I don't know what it is well thank god they do oh yeah I mean Jesus <laughs> and and musicians in general like look at Bette Midler's career Cher's career Madonna's career they would have Britney Spears they would have nothing without gay men mm-hmm. <laughs> oh well, do you have any final thoughts on First Wives Club? If you haven't seen it, please do. Or hit yeah. you in the head with a tack hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it is currently on HBO. Um, yeah. S- sorry, this was... At least you didn't get to say much. I just rambled because I love this movie so much. But thank you for humoring me, Lacey. <laughs> no problem. It's always fun. Uh, and thank you all for listening Uh, if you want to support the podcast you can click on the support link in the episode description it'll take you to our support page where you can make a one-time donation or sign up for a monthly patronage you can also support the podcast by sharing the link on your social media to help us expand our audience Uh, thank you again to Lacey for recording with me today no problem and until next time We are the weirdos, mister.